Welcome to Resource on the Go, a podcast from the National Sexual Violence Resource Center on understanding, responding to, and preventing sexual abuse and assault. My name is Jennifer Grove, and I'm the Prevention Director at the National Sexual Violence Resource Center. This podcast is the second episode in our sex ed series. Today, Dr. Emily Rothman joins me to talk about her research on a porn literacy program for adolescents. Dr. Rothman is a professor of community health sciences at the Boston University School of Public Health and co-author of The Truth About Pornography, a pornography literacy curriculum for high school students designed to reduce sexual and dating violence. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Rothman. I'm excited to talk to you about porn literacy for adolescents and particularly about the research that you've done in this area. Could you talk about how you became involved in this area of work? Yeah, sure. So um, I definitely did not plan to be a pornography researcher as part of my career. Um, But basically what happened is I had been studying dating and sexual violence prevention for over a decade. And this one study that I was working on had pornography as, you know, we had asked one question about pornography and it was strongly related to the dating violence um, thing that we were studying. And so um, that really got me curious about pornography and what influence, if any, it was having on youth. And so I started investigating that and looking into it. Um, And then right around the same time, in terms of how how did I then get involved in developing a pornography literacy curriculum for adolescents, I um, had always every year been invited to come give a little guest talk to um, adolescents at the local Boston Public Health Commission. Um, they have an after-school program for teenagers where they train them to become peer educators about dating and sexual violence. And so they always had me stop by to say something about my dating and sexual violence research. And this one year when I went, um, I started talking about that stuff and the kids were just clearly very bored. Like they were not interested. Um, And so my colleague who works for the program just said to me, Uh, hey, uh, aren't you working on some kind of study that had to do with pornography? Like she was thinking of that research I was just telling you about. And so the minute that Jess said the word pornography, the kids all of a sudden were very interested in what I had to say. And they had lots of opinions that they wanted to express about what they did and didn't want to see in pornography. And so after that session, we looked at each other, me and the two, you know, adults who facilitate that Boston, um, Uh, public health commission after school program and we thought wow we could really leverage the kids obvious interest in talking about pornography by you know engaging them around that topic and using that uh, as a vehicle for making sure that we do talk with them about other issues that we want to talk with them about anyway like consent and the health of relationships and also add into that how what you're seeing in pornography is usually not very realistic or the what we know from science about ways in which pornography can influence some people's behavior um, all of that so we sort of set off on that point on this journey of developing a 
the porn literacy curriculum and pilot testing it with different cohorts of youth from that after school program. And so that was in about um, 2015. So in 2016, we were um, really finalizing uh, the first version of our curriculum. That's so great. I can definitely identify with being an educator or going in front of a group of students or young people and having them look at me like, you know, what are you talking about? Like, you lost me here. I'm bored, you know, and needing to have something that makes them sit up in their seats. (laughs) And I can imagine saying the word pornography was definitely uh, something that caused caused them to become quite uh, a lot more alert, right? Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so could you tell us, um, you've, you've touched a little bit on this, but can you tell us a bit about the program and the research? Yeah, sure. So, um, let me tell you just a little bit about the curriculum itself first. Um, basically this is a nine topic, uh, curriculum and each topic can be covered in about one hour. And so we've at this point trained probably hundreds of different, um, you know, teachers and sexuality education folks and they choose to use it in different ways so sometimes they'll double up and teach the entire curriculum in just five sessions sometimes they'll do just one week one session and then it can take nine weeks so people do different things with it but basically nine sessions and um, we cover a bunch of content in there At, at first we just start out by talking about like why are we even talking about pornography what is pornography Like how has it been defined legally? Like the difference between obscenity and pornography, or is there a difference between erotica and pornography? There really isn't for the most part, by the way. But we, you know, we kind of talk about some definitional issues and then why we think it might be important to have that kind of conversation. We do also, um, I mean, I think one of the things I'd like to say about the curriculum is that it's sex positive, I mean, one of the ways in which maybe it's different from some of the um, other programs or just approaches that have been used out there before is that it is pretty non-judgmental. So uh, there's like a no shaming standpoint and we try to stick very close to the science and what we actually know about sexually explicit media. um, And within that, then give kids sort of a framework for thinking about um, whether they ever want to see porn and if they do, how they're going to interpret it. So that said, one of the things that we do talk about as part of session two, kind of early in the curriculum, is the history of sexually explicit images in society, like ancient art that showed naked people. Why did they have that? And then at what point in history did sexually explicit images get considered Um, you know, off limits, or how was it put off limits, and for who, and who put it off limits, and who has the power to make those kind of decisions. So we really contextualize the entire discussion about pornography and what it doesn't and doesn't do to people, does and does not do to people, in this broader discussion about like the politics behind it as well. Um, But then we do get into things like norms, the kinds of social norms that might be promoted through mainstream internet pornography, the whole question of whether some people can become compulsive about pornography use. Um, and, And then we talk about things like healthy intimacy and healthy flirting and dating and caring for other people. Um, we do talk about the possible link to commercial sexual exploitation. 
And um, we talk about things like the non-consensual dissemination of sexually explicit images, which is a really long way of saying um, other people may have heard of it called, quote, revenge porn, which is not an official way of calling it. But anyway, so we talk about when people um, might like doctor images or without somebody's consent be sending around images that have been sexted to them or so sexually explicit selfies, which is relevant for teens. They need to know the, the laws about that and implications. Um, and, and so and we talked to them also about like their peers and how they can be ambassadors in a way for what they've learned with, with peers and be part of social norms change in that way. So, so that's a little bit of a walkthrough of the curriculum. Um, and then we have done research We've tried to collect pre and post test data from kids who go through the curriculum in order to compare what they um, know and their attitudes and some of their behavioral intentions related to um, pornography at, before they go through the class and then after they go through the class. So we haven't yet done that compared to a control group that doesn't get the class and that would be a great next step if we can get funding for research for that. Thank you so much. Yeah, that would be an excellent next step. Um, you know, you talk a little bit about, you know, sharing the science and sticking to the science. And I know that we've we've talked before about this concept of inviting adolescents to become critical thinkers and critical consumers of the research and the science around uh, on pornography. Um, can you talk a little bit about that concept? Yeah, you know, this really comes, I mean, I think it's a strength of the um, Start Strong program, which is the, the dating and sexual violence prevention program at the Boston Public Health Commission. I mean, I think it's a strength of their staff that they really recognize how to use positive youth development and how to use, um, you know, I guess, best practices for adolescent education in all of the different types of um, interventions that they do. So it wasn't a big stretch for them to draw on that incredible knowledge and know-how that they have for really truly engaging adolescents and getting them on board with something to, to start using that for this intervention as well. And so some of what, you know, I think the lessons learned and, and just from understanding how adolescents work and what engages them as learners, you don't want to try to just jam something down their throat. So if you're really heavy handed and you have a message like, you know, pornography is bad, you know, it's the worst thing and it's just going to hurt you and it's going to hurt everybody. No. And there's no ifs, ands or buts or there's no other perspective. on. Like if you're just a one sided perspective and you do nothing but try to force that on them, that's a turnoff to adolescents. I mean, that's a turnoff to adults often as well. But you know, particularly with adolescents, what we found is that offering up to them the best available evidence from the research about what pornography does and doesn't do, or, you know, there are some studies that find, for example, that oh, pornography seems um, to have a negative impact in this particular way on boys in the sample, but it didn't have those same effect on girls. And then wondering like, well, why, why might that be? Or are there other studies that found something different? And, and allowing them to, um, I guess, walk alongside you through a, a literature review in a way and, and dig into the fact that, you know, not all the studies find, uh, have, 
only negative effects or that there, there's some nuance or complexity in, in what, what we know about how pornography may affect people, that that strikes them, I think, usually as more realistic and also allow, it's like a little openness in there that allows them to like question with you, think with you, and, um, and it just tends to build trust in some way and, and engage them better. So I guess that's the pitch for why we would use that more like critical thinking approach rather than just trying to sell them on, on one kind of mantra. I think that's one of the reasons I like this program is because of that approach. It's, you know, you said about inviting them in and allowing them to, to sort of learn with you. Um, and I think that goes a long way in helping them to develop those critical thinking skills. Um, so I, lo- I love that approach. Um, what effects have you seen? And thinking about the research, what effects have you seen from the implementation of this program? And, and have there been any changes or updates to the program from what you're learning? Yeah, great question. Um, so, you know, it's hard to say that the changes that we observed um, from pre-test to post-test, for example, when we're evaluating are definitely attributable to our intervention because it's possible they could have been at the same time they're enrolled in our class. Maybe they're getting some other information about porn from elsewhere and that, that should really get the credit. It's pretty unlikely because there just aren't that many sources of information for kids about pornography. So, um, you know, I can tell you that there, there are things like, for example, um, some of the kids start off in our class with this idea that being in professional pornography is a good way to make a lot of money. Like they think it would be glamorous and fun to be a porn star. Um, and so, for example, we found that 52% of them believe that a pretest and that um, it goes down to only 21% of them agreeing with that at post-test. So that's one example. Um, another one is that at the pretest, 26% of the youth um, in the class said that they thought that pornography was really realistic. Zero um, percent agreed at follow-up. So those are the kinds of indicators that we see that gives us some confidence that um, they are learning something uh, from this curriculum. It, it does appear to be associated with some changes in knowledge and attitudes. And if those kind of findings are exciting to listeners, then we have a full you know, set of results available in a couple of peer-reviewed um, research articles that are out there on it. In terms of whether um, that evaluation, those evaluation studies have resulted in any changes to the curriculum, uh, it's not, not so much that the evaluation stuff has resulted in changes, but I would say that because, you know, I, as I said, we started in 2016 and here we are in 2020, there's new research that comes out all the time about, you know, what's the content of pornography or what's the impact of pornography on relationship stability or what's the impact of pornography on eating disorder or body self-image. There's new articles that come out, you know, every month. And so one of the ways that we have to keep this curriculum changing is constantly updating to try to reflect the new knowledge and the new information that's come out. Um, so, so we do that to the best of our ability, and that's one change. The other thing is um, thinking about how to involve adolescents who've been through the program as peer educators, like actually training them up to deliver the intervention themselves. And they do that in partnership with a 
qualified adult who's trained and sort of keeps an eye on things as well. Um, but empowering youth to have this be a youth-delivered intervention is something that I think uh, we're proud of. And being able to deliver it on Zoom, which yes, you can do. Um, so especially during COVID times, our team had to pivot and make sure that we knew how to train um, you know, adult facilitators who want to teach the curriculum that we can train them online. And we did that over Zoom. Um, and then they're the teens who are involved in the Boston Public Health Commission are delivering it via Zoom to other peers this fall for the first time. So there is going to be a Zoom version of it. I guess those are the major changes. That's so great and definitely something to think about right now, like you were saying, um, in our you know COVID-19 times. Um, lots of educators, um, people doing prevention work are trying to figure out how do I do my work um, in a virtual setting. And so I love the fact that you all are thinking through that and learning how to, to use Zoom as many of us are and other platforms to deliver the education. And I also really appreciate this sort of full circle approach as well with you know training the young people to be peer educators so that they're de then delivering the program. Yeah, to, to other um, young people. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, talk about ways to engage teenagers. If you get so, number one, yes, it's fun to talk about pornography if you're a teen, but uh, talking about it with other teens, even that much better in some cases than just uh, hearing it all laid out to you by an adult. Oh. Definitely. Um, you also mentioned um, there are several peer-reviewed articles about the research, and I am a bit of a research geek. I love to do a deep dive into that. And so I just wanted to mention to our listeners that we will be linking um, to those or to the locations where you can access those um, in the show notes. So just so so everyone knows, we will have that up on, online. And so the last question I have for you in, in thinking about everything you've shared, which has been so important and, and so informative, what advice would you give to people listening who may want to implement this program? Yeah, well, um, one thing is really easy. We're offering uh, an online training. Um, it is, I think, relatively not that expensive. It's $125 to get trained in how to use the curriculum. And you also get a copy in the mail of the curriculum itself um, for that. And we're having our next online training on December 4th. Uh, there's an Eventbrite link, and I'll make sure that you have that to share on your uh, website as well. So anyone who wants to facilitate, really, the thing to do is sign up for a training. We will walk you through it and kind of tell you how to lead the activities, give you the philosophy behind why we do what we do, some information about the science that informs the curriculum. Um, and then we're super hands off. So we, what we, you know, the whole point is to make it as accessible as possible. And we have encouraged other people who've gone through our training to make the adaptations that they need to make and, and modify it um, in order to use it with whatever local group they want to use it with. People often ask at this point, um, how do parents feel when, you know, about their kids going to a porn literacy class? And um, I think, well, one thing I should have said up front is we don't ever show any porn to teenagers, just to be perfectly clear about that. So it isn't like we're showing kids how to watch porn, which is one misunderstanding that, that 
people can have along the way. We don't do that. And we were worried or we thought that there would be parents who would be nervous and, oh, I don't want these strangers talking to my kids about porn. It turns out that to a person, parents have been like, thank you for taking this on. Thank you for being willing to talk to my kid about porn. I don't know what to say. I don't want to talk about this. Um, and so that's generally the reaction we've gotten. Uh, you know, we did design this originally for use with an after school program, which avoid um, or avoided that whole question of, well, what is the superintendent going to say or the school board and, and that whole, we didn't set it up that we had to get permission from a school board to implement it. And so we have had teachers and educators who have used it in school systems ask us, you know, for any advice as they go through and get permissions, but I've heard a lot of success stories, again, where you would worry that people would be scared of this topic or not want it talked about. I mean, one thing is that the new national sexuality education standards that have just come out list in them that kids, um, you know, there's, there's kind of different bullet points about what you should be teaching 10th graders and 11th graders and 12th graders and middle school kids, but pornography is in there. It is now recommended to schools that they have to say something about pornography because it is widespread and, and I think everybody's pretty acutely aware that unless we address this up front, you know, kids are going to find it themselves and they're going to draw their own conclusions about it. For that reason, I think there's more and more school boards, principals, educators who are open to the idea that we're going to need something and they see this curriculum, they like the messages in it, they feel comfortable with the approach, um, with the fact that it is pretty straightforward um, and, and not too heavy handed, I guess I would say, in terms of one perspective or the other. So it kind of avoids politics in that way. And um, people have had luck using it in schools. So there's that going for it as well. Excellent. Thank you. And thanks for mentioning the, um, the standards, you know, around, um, sexuality education, because I think that's important and, and absolutely like if, if you want to be following the standards and in line with the standards, this is a great curriculum to help you, um, address that. So I appreciate you sharing that as well. So thank you so much. Um, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you joining us today. And we do invite folks to learn more about your research and about the porn literacy curriculum by checking out the links that will be in the show notes. So thank you for joining us, Dr. Rothman. Thank you so much. for listening to this episode of Resource on the Go. For more resources and information about preventing sexual assault, visit our website at www.nsvrc.org. You can also get in touch with us by emailing resources at nsvrc.org.